Father, thank you for the grace you've shown us in drawing near to us in Jesus. Use these gifts we return to you, the, the great giver in the service of your kingdom of peace. Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture reading comes from the first chapter of John. If you want to find it in your Bibles or use one of the Bibles in the pews, we are reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the world, and the world was with God, and the world was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, and gave the right to become children of God, who were born not, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the, world be, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, is made, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? God and Father, you who are the word of creation, you speak to us through your word. Now be speaking into our hearts. Be with all of us sinners as we hear your word proclaimed. Be with me, a sinner, as I seek to preach it. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light those dwelling in the land of shadow, a light has dawned. Those are the words of the prophet Isaiah. Those are the words that Jesus takes up in Matthew 4 to describe his ministry. And that is the language that John picks up here in our reading this morning, describing Jesus' birth. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This world can be a dark place. That's something we've reflected on at the beginning of each of our messages as we've worked through this Advent series leading up to Christmas. There's a darkness that's caused by our individual sins and darkness in the sinful systems of the world and darkness in our own hearts, both in terms of our struggles and in terms of our sins, there is a lot of darkness. And in the face of all that, my question is, well, we're not going to dwell there this morning, what do you do? 
with all of that darkness in the world. I think some people in the world treat the solution to that darkness as to ignore it, that it's just too great, this shadow that kind of looms over everything, and so we cover our eyes and we plug our ears and bury our heads in the sand and do our best to just have fun in the face of it, Um, to laugh and dance and ignore the darkness in our world. And you can do that. There are lots of people in the world that live that way. You can do it for a long time, but eventually, one way or another, that darkness catches up with you. Maybe it overtakes you right in the middle of life. You've done your best just to pretend like everything is all right, but then something happens and you can't ignore it anymore. And even if you manage to ignore it for a long time, eventually it catches up to you by the end of life. I have met many people um, in nursing homes or facing the grave that there's this sort of just bleak despair (laughs) to the way they end up living because they can't hide from it anymore. And so they just kind of, um, yeah, just kind of try to get by, medicated and entertained until that darkness comes. So you can try to ignore it. But that doesn't sound all that hopeful, right? So maybe you try to fight it instead. You try to fight the darkness. And um, I feel like most young people at some point in their lives have tried to do that. Maybe you try to fight it just for yourself personally. You try to just accomplish enough and do enough and become rich and financially secure and powerful enough that you're going to be immune to the darkness, even though it affects everybody else. Or maybe, and this is more admirable, but maybe you even try to fight it in the world, right? You, you give your life to some cause to fight the darkness, to care for the poor, or do what good you can. And you can do that, and things can come of that attempt to fight the darkness. Even some good things. Lots of great charity work has been done trying to fight the darkness, and lots of big companies and successful lives have probably been created trying to fight the darkness. But at the end of the day, all of that is still built on a really fragile foundation. Millions of people who are smarter and stronger than you have tried to claw their way up to the light, and the darkness has overtaken them. And millions of people who are better and kinder than all of us have tried to solve the darkness in the world, and it's still there. Sometimes I think people imagine Christianity as one or the other of those approaches. Some people treat Christianity like it's just a way to ignore the darkness, right? That you've just kind of, you've got some promise of heaven and some sort of spiritual notion of comfort, and so you just kind of use that to distract yourself from how bad life is. Or you use it as a way to fight the darkness, that you use Christianity just as a call to good values or social justice or some cause that you think is going to solve the world. And look, again, those things can be great, but at the end of the day, the world is still broken. And honestly, those attempts to fix it that way usually just lead to tyranny and hatred. The problem with those approaches is that they miss what Christianity is ultimately proclaiming at a time like this time of year. Christianity is not ultimately about some way to ignore the brokenness of the world, some promise of heaven, and it is not ultimately about some set of values that it will fix the world. Both of those things are there, but Christianity is about Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ in a particular sense, in the sense that John talks about him here in this text from John chapter 1. So let's read that text and see how John talks about the light breaking in. So here's what Christianity claims is our hope in the darkness. Start at the beginning of John, verse 1. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In Scripture, God speaks and things become. He speaks creation into being. His words have the very power to form the universe. And so John takes that image of God's word, his word, and then he personifies it. All these things were made through the word of God. And that word isn't just a thing that God does or speaks, but somehow it's God himself. It's with God, and it is God. And then in verse 4 and 5, and in him that word was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so that word is life in the sense that it is the source of all of our lives, that God speaks and we live, and and that that life then is somehow this light for us. And this isn't even about Jesus' birth yet. This is just declaring that somehow God in himself, this God who speaks creation and who somehow is this power of creation, that he is light. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but um, where does your sense that the world is wrong even come from? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, imagine, imagine that you live in a cave deep underground, right? And there's, there's no sunlight, and there's no light bulbs, and there's no, you know, matches or candles or sparks. You live in this dark cave, and everyone just gropes their way through it. If, if, that, if you lived there, you would not realize that you were living in the darkness, right? I mean, someone comes and says, you know what we need is a light, and you would say, well, what is that? You know, I mean, they, you know, you would talk about sight and, and vision, and they would be like, that's not one of the four senses, right? If you lived in that kind of darkness all the time, you wouldn't realize that it was dark. We have this sense that the world is wrong, don't you? I mean, we think that people should be selfless and virtuous, and that the poor shouldn't be poor, and the wicked people shouldn't get rich, but where do those ideas come from? Because it doesn't come from the world that we live in, right? I mean, what, what is the time, what is the place where those things haven't been realities? What is the place where this world hasn't been dark? Where does the idea that it shouldn't be come from? What John is saying is that that idea ultimately comes from God. That God is light, that God represents this sort of goodness even in the face of this dark world. It is shining in the midst of the darkness and we somewhere... At the backs of our heads, even though we don't name it, even though maybe we don't even believe it, we have this sense that that light is the way that the world should be. We know that there is a sun and fire and starry nights, even though we've spent our whole lives down in that dark cave. God is light, and that gives us a longing for the light. So we have this word, and this word is God, and this word is light, But we're just getting started because it gets a lot crazier as it goes on. So then in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And now John isn't just talking about the word kind of up in heaven, this light kind of up with God, but he's talking about Jesus. The light has always been this sort of thing that we've known in some sense, but now it's becoming a human being. Skip down to verse 14. John makes it even clearer there. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Which is crazy, it's saying that power, that voice, that, you know, that that word of God that spoke creation and that is with God and is God 
became a human being. And we need to talk... We need to talk about that too. I think we hear that and we have this notion that what it's saying is that the word just kind of appeared like a human being sometimes. Like, I don't know, that there's God and then he like put on this like man suit or like, I, like he, he scooped out a human's brain and, you know, it, it, the body's like this robot and he's like, you know, in there kind of driving it around to talk to people or something. But John's not just saying that. He, say, he doesn't just says, say the word looks like flesh or something, but the word became flesh. Christians sometimes say that um, you have a soul and a body, which is true, but then somehow they end up with this mistaken idea that you are your soul and the body is just kind of an accident that you're going to get rid of. And that's not actually what the Bible teaches. It says that we are a soul and a body. And it's true when we die that our soul somehow continues without our body and is at rest with the Lord, but that ultimately, right, what we believe is the resurrection of the body and that the soul and the body are joined again. That's how it's supposed to be for us. And when it says that Jesus became flesh, it's saying that he is like that, except he's also God. God doesn't just kind of dress up and appear like a human being, but God actually has a human body, a human mind, human feelings, human emotions. He has the pains and the stomach ache and the tired eyes that all of us get after a hard day's work. But the word that spoke creation became a creature. And the reason that matters is because in Jesus we aren't just saying that God kind of like put on a man suit so that he could tell us about the light. We are saying that the light actually stepped into human history and started working in human history. Let me try to put that like this. I think we often talk as if Christianity is a philosophy, a philosophy about how you should live your life or about what is right and wrong. And Christianity does include a philosophy, but it is not ultimately about that. What Christianity is ultimately about is history. It is about history. It doesn't claim that Jesus was this philosopher that had some good ideas about how we should live. It claims that Jesus was God entering human time and space. And that's why Christianity is challenging, right? Because, I mean, you know, we can each have our own philosophy, you know? I mean, you can, you can have yours, and I can have mine, and I can say, you do you, and we, I, I'll do me, and we're good. But when we're talking about history, we all have some sense that We're talking about something that we have to all share, right? You know, I mean, when I, (laughs) this probably is indicative of me, but when I'm like late at night bored and I end up like reading about these weird conspiracies on the internet, right? About people who deny the moon landing or the Holocaust or whatever. What I don't think is like, oh, well, that's an interesting history. I mean, it's not my history, but you know, you can do your history and I'll do mine, right? What I think is, no, that's, that's wrong. So that's why it's challenging, but it's also why Christianity is so hopeful. Because it isn't claiming that there is just another philosophy that we can find, another idea about light in this dark world, right? Because there there are a million different people with a million different philosophies and none of them have fixed the world. It is saying that the light has actually come into the darkness. It has entered history. And because of that, everything is changing. But what? What is it then that changes? If God has come into history, what does that mean? Well, I think John says three things in this text. First, he says that because the light has come into history, we can have a new birth. A new birth. If you look at verse 12, but to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So by believing in Jesus, human beings are given this ability to become God's children. And notice, this isn't just saying that we are God's children, right? People talk as if, you know, everybody is a child of God, every person. And there is one sense in which that's true. Everybody is created in God's image. And, um, you know, he made everyone. And so everyone has dignity and value. And we should treat them with respect because of that. But that's not what John is talking about here. That's clear from verse 13. We aren't talking about someone who is born of blood, which means physically born. Um, nor are we even just talking about someone who is born in the sense of they made some decision. He isn't just saying that we, you know, some, some of us can decide to act like God's children. That what he is saying is that we are actually born of God. And Christianity talks about being born again, which is a label that lots of people throw around. But this, and then in John chapter 3, another discussion, are where that language comes from. And that language is meant to describe this supernatural thing that God is doing in history and in each of our histories when we come and meet with Jesus. He isn't just saying that we're the same old human beings that, you know, decide to kind of think a few things differently or do a few things differently. He's saying that as we come to know Jesus, we are actually changed, that somehow we gain this new birth, this new heritage. In Jesus, we receive a new way of being a human being. Because this world is full of darkness, there is a sense in which, left to ourselves, we are all children of that darkness, that that is our heritage, and it's what defines us. I mean, I've got... When I just think about my my family, right, my biological family, there um, there are lots of beautiful things about that, but there are also some dark things, right? some sins and struggles that I know are there and that I'm left wondering sometimes, is that what I'm, you know, ultimately destined for? Is that my heritage, those dark pieces of my family? And that struggle writ large is in a sense the struggle that all of us have with our humanity. I mean, we kind of in in America where we're really individualistic, I don't know that we dwell there a lot, but on some level, um, I have to recognize that this human thing is my thing. And there's, there's, again, good and beautiful parts of that, but there's also a lot of darkness, right? People with 99.99% of my DNA, right? people who share my blood, are responsible for all of the horrible and ugly things that have ever been done in human history. And so we've got to wonder, is that our inheritance? Is that what we're ultimately doomed to repeat? And Christianity's answer is that in Jesus, we are actually born again. But not just for pretend, not just because we're going to pretend like that isn't our our heritage, but because he actually comes to create a new family, a new humanity through himself. Now that doesn't mean that when we trust in that and when we experience that new birth, that doesn't mean that that old heritage is, you know, instantly vanished. I'm still going to struggle with it. But it means that I now have a hope and a choice. I have a hope that there is a new thing in history, a new sort of humanity that can define me. And I have a choice when I confront that and my old humanity to live for the new instead of the old. I'm not just doomed to repeat history. 
None of us are, man. Your, your sins and your family's sins and humanity's sins, they don't have to be the story of your life. There's a new birth that's available. So there's a new birth. But not only that, John also tells us that in Jesus we can have a new life. Because the word has come into human history, there is a new way to live in the world. Look at verse 16 and 17. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So from his fullness, that calls back to verse 14 where it describes him as full of God's glory and grace and truth. Jesus contains this fullness of God and because of that we receive grace. What does that mean? Well, first John talks about Moses and the law. And if you've been here this year as we've preached through Romans, some of that probably sounds familiar to you, but um, that's a common New Testament theme. Basically, here's what he's saying. He says, through Moses, God gives this law, and he gives it to Israel, and part of that is particular to Israel in the Old Testament, but within that is also this general moral law, this revelation that God desire of how God wants the world to work, and so we, we know the law, then we see that and understand it, but the problem is that just knowing that doesn't fix us. It didn't make Israel moral, and it doesn't make you or I moral. We need something more than just the law. And so what Jesus comes to do is give us a new way of living, a way of living that is not by that law, but by grace. See, it's not just that I struggle with that heritage of humanity in my family. I struggle with the things that I have done in this world. Maybe, um, you're right, my problem isn't just the world outside me, it's, it's the darkness in here and the darkness that I've created in it. And so I need something more than just like a new way to be human. I need God to somehow deal with the darkness that I know that I have done and that I still sometimes do. And Jesus offers that as well. What he offers is a way of living that isn't defined by my darkness any more than it is defined by the darkness out there. It is a way of living that's defined by grace. That God has forgiven me and that he loves me as righteous right now, right where I am, because of the work of Jesus. Here's what I think that comes down to. Here's, here's the problem with living by the law, all right? Um, we have this issue because we need... We need an idea of righteousness that is greater than us if we're ever going to grow, right? You know, I mean, I need this sense of righteousness as something that I'm not at. I need this, this upward call, this thing that I'm aspiring to. If I don't have that, I'm never going to get any better than I already am. Each of us needs that, but the problem is that if you've got righteousness up there and it's a standard that you're not meeting, <laughs> what does that mean about you, <laughs> right? It means that you're not righteous, there's this tension that we feel between this idea that we're called to be more than we are and the reality that we aren't there. And so what I, we tend to do when we face that is one of two things. One is we're just crushed and we give up. That happens to some of us. We pursue that higher standard and we fail and we end up discouraged and so we say, all right, I'm not going to try anymore. Or two, and I think this one is a little more common, we redefine that standard of righteousness so that we don't feel bad anymore. We, you know, we, we see the bar up there and we're like, you know, lower it down so that it's right where I am. And now I feel okay. And that can, that can keep us from being crushed. But the problem with that is that it leaves us in a place where we can't grow. 
right? Where I'm never going to be any better than I am, where I've redefined righteousness to fit me. Every time I hear someone who is a Christian say something like, you know, well, I'm just a good person. I want to be like, no, you've done that, right? That's, you've lowered the standard. That's not what we're called to do. What true Christianity offers instead is a way out of that dilemma, a way to have a standard of righteousness that is above us and calls us towards it while recognizing that we don't meet it. And the way that it offers that is through grace. So what Christianity says is that you are not judged by your ability to meet that standard. You are judged by the reality that Jesus has already met it. That Jesus has lived that perfect righteous life and we receive the grace of his righteousness. And so what that does is that sets us free, right? Because we can look and we can pursue that standard. That doesn't mean that we don't seek to chase it. Part of being a child of God means seeking to grow and, you know, and pursue that. But we can pursue that while having the rest and peace of knowing that our acceptance and our identity don't rest on it. They rest on the righteousness of Jesus. And that is perfect. And that is ours. And that hints at the thing that lies behind both of these truths. That more than just a new birth and a new life, what Jesus offers us is a new relationship. A new relationship with God. It was there in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh, but that doesn't just mean that we have a new birth and a new life. It means that somehow we have access to God. We have seen his glory, Jesus says. Through the Son, we are actually able to be connected to God himself. He spells that out in verse 18 then. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So no one has ever seen God. God in scripture is exalted and high above us. Um, meeting with God in the Bible is something that leads people to expect to be destroyed. Like Moses in Deuteronomy. He meets with God up on Mount Sinai and not even face to face. He sees somehow this like shadow of God. But he comes back down and the people and Moses are all astounded because they say, This day we have seen God speak with man and man still live. They're flabbergasted by that. And the reason is because in Scripture, like we said, God is light. He's this ultimate source of light in the face of the world's darkness. But parts of us are dark, too. And the fear of people in Scripture is that to approach God is like a shadow approaching the sun. That it would be consumed by the perfection and light of that presence. But what Jesus does is cross that divide. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So Jesus is God moving toward us. It's not that we, with all of our darkness, are supposed to kind of crawl our way up to God, but that God, by becoming Jesus, has chased and pursued and moved toward you. And that's our ultimate source of hope, because it means that we can know God again and be in relationship with God because the word became flesh. Here's how Paul puts it in his first letter to Timothy. He says, There is one God, and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That word mediator means, it means go-between. It means that we can approach God because we have Jesus 
bridging the gap. That as we come to Jesus, we are coming to God, and that as Jesus draws near to us, God is drawing near to us. And all of that brings us back to that original question we asked. What kind of light, what kind of hope is there really in the face of this world's darkness? Tonight at our Christmas Eve service, we're going to do something which to plenty of you might seem familiar, to some of you if you're there might seem new or strange, but we have this candle lighting ceremony every Christmas Eve. Um, there's this Christ candle at the center of the Advent wreath that will be lit tonight, and, um, you know, and we'll, we'll take a candle and light it off that and then pass that candle to others, and that light kind of spreads through the sanctuary. Um, And slowly the whole room is lit up by that light. But here's the thing. We need to think about that right. What do you think that ceremony is supposed to represent? I think to a lot of us we have this idea that it just means that we're supposed to be inspired by Jesus. Right? But that's the wrong image. If if that was what it was saying, then like, you know, I would light the Christ candle and you would all like, I don't know, pull like matches out of your pocket and like light your candle. Right? You say, oh, look, we see, you know, Jesus burning, so I should, you know, light myself. That is not what we're doing. The fire in that ceremony is the light of God himself. And what we're doing is we're saying that Jesus comes bringing that light, that presence of God. And what we are called to do is to come and touch ourselves to him. To come and meet with him. And that as we do, that light that is God's presence is ignited in us as well. And then, so we shine then, but not because we've lit our wicks, not because we've kind of, you know, fired ourselves up. We shine with that same flame that is God, because through Jesus we have met with him. When I was um, a teenager, and in a more revivalistic tradition, I guess, than we are now, I was often told to be on fire for God. There were these songs and these talks about how I needed to catch fire for Jesus. And that was well-intentioned. But think about what that, think about what that's actually trying to tell you to do, right? It's, look, I'm going to try to light myself on fire right now, okay? (sighs) I mean, I'm trying to internally combust, yes? (laughs) It's not how it works, right? And the reason for that is because that's not how fire works. That it's not something that I do to myself. It's something that happens to me when I meet with the flame. The reason that we aren't on fire for God, whatever that meant, um, the reason that we struggle often to shine with his light, a lot of the times is because we're trying to make ourselves burn. And what we're called to do instead is to come to God and meet with him in Jesus, and then to be ignited. So today, as we enter into Christmas, and in our lives as we go out from it, what I invite you to do is to spend some time drawing near that light, to reflect a little bit on what it is that he has done in Jesus. Pray that God would pour it into your hearts. Press into it, because the closer you are to that light, the more it springs up in you as well. That's the invitation of Christmas in the end and the declaration of Christmas in the face of this world's darkness. That God's light has broken into this world in Jesus. That God is shining and what we are invited to do is to come and meet with that light and to have it catch in our own souls and shine out from us into this dark world. Would you pray with me? Father, you are life and light and all that is good. 
and know that there is much that is dark in the world and much that is dark in my own heart. I know as I have met with and tasted and seen that light that there is a beauty there that is my only hope and our only hope in this world. I pray that you would speak to us the good news of Jesus Christ and the love that you've shown us in him, that we might shine this Christmas season. We pray this in his name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing? It is good to worship with you, especially this Christmas Eve. Um, please join us after the service for a time of fellowship. If you don't know the person standing next to you, introduce yourselves. I know we've got family in town and all of that, but um, we are eternal beings bound to spend eternity knowing each other, and so you might as well start getting acquainted now. Um, and also please join us tonight at 10 p.m. for the candlelight service and Christmas vigil. It is, um, yeah, drive safely as there's snow on the ground, and now go with the Lord's blessing this Christmas Eve. May the Lord bless and keep you.
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his grace now and forever. Amen.